It is Tuesday, November 1st, and this is People Every Day. Hello out there, Janine Rubenstein here with you once again. I have retired my hot skating Barbie costume from last night, light up rollerblades included. (laughs) And we've got a busy show for you today, including a breakdown of exactly how and why Taylor made music history this week, thanks to her Swifties and more than a few hit songs. And while last night may have been Halloween, if you're someone who enjoys some scares and suspense year round, then odds are you're a fan of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. Well, today, we're joined by one of the biggest stars of the show, Yvonne Strahovski, or Serena Joy, as we all know and loathe her on the show. All right, let's get into it all. Hashtag about last night. I hope your evening was filled with plenty of candy and fun costumes. My two little ones went as Remarkable Reese the Magician and his little rabbit out of the hat, Raimi. (laughs) But speaking of costumes, the queen of Halloween was back in full force for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Supermodel Heidi Klum has made quite the spectacle out of her Halloween costumes over the last decade. The model absolutely loves the holiday and pulls out all the stops, whether it's going as a flesh-eating alien an old man, or Fiona from Shrek. Klum kills it. But last night at her iconic Halloween party, she may have donned her strangest costume yet. The Make the Cut host wore a head-to-toe worm costume. Yep. You heard that right. She went as a worm. And you guys have to go to people.com to see this. I mean, there is just no getting around that she is, in fact, a worm. The makeup and the detail with all the ridges and the long tail. I mean, all you can see are her feet kind of shuffling underneath and her eyes and mouth barely peeking out of the worm's torso or or body or clitellum. I don't I don't know. I have no idea how she was able to get into that, let alone use the bathroom. But Klum wasn't the only celebrity who got strangely deep into the spirit. Stranger Things was a major source of costume inspiration this year, and I absolutely loved what boyfriend and girlfriend duo Nina Dobrev and Sean White wore. White's signature red hair earned him the nickname The Flying Tomato during his incredible snowboarding career, and last night, White put that to good use as he rocked a ponytail, a blue windbreaker, and and Walkman to pull off his best Max Mayfield impression. While the Vampire Diaries alum was almost unrecognizable as she wore a full Vecna costume, the big bad from this most recent season, the two posted a video to Instagram recreating the now famous scene of Max confronting Vecna, all set to Kate Bush's resurfaced hit, Running Up That Hill. Last but not least, Neil Patrick Harris and David Burke's family had a delicious theme to their costumes. Fast food mascots, NPH, went as Ronald McDonald. Burka sported a beard and crown to transform into the Burger King king. Uh, their 12-year-old twins, Harper Grace and Gideon Scott, got in on the action, too, with Harper sporting two long red pigtails and freckles to become Wendy from, you guessed it, Wendy's. And Gideon sported a white suit, goatee, and a bucket of chicken to complete his finger-looking-good look as Colonel Sanders. The family posted a picture in their high-cholesterol all costumes surrounded by several platters of fast food with the caption trick or meat get it (laughs) honestly i'm not doing any of these incredibly creative costumes justice here so be sure to head to people.com as soon as you can to see for yourself they are absolutely amazing and while last night was a lot of fun for millions of people We, unfortunately, have to turn our attention to some incredibly sad news and a shocking story surrounding 
the killing of Migos rapper Takeoff. This morning, we learned the terrible news that rapper Takeoff, a member of the wildly popular rap group Migos, was killed in an early morning shooting in Houston. He was killed outside of a bowling alley after attending a private party with fellow Migos rapper Quavo, where an altercation broke out. Takeoff, whose real name was Kershnik Kari Ball, was just 28 years old, and my heart breaks for him, his family, and friends. He was a beloved member of the rap and hip-hop community, and the news of his death has his fans and loved ones just on edge, seeking answers as to why this happened to someone who had a bright future ahead of them. Well, he had unforgettable lyrics in the group's 2018 hit, Walk It Like I Talk It. And then there was his L.A. Leakers freestyle as a guest on the Power 106 show back in 2021. Don't want to get popped, don't open your top, you better move militant. They talking about COVID when I heard the news, I started sipping the remedy. <laughs> and guys, stories of horrific shootings of hip-hop musicians have become far too familiar, and so many people are affected by this. Joining me now to discuss what we know is music journalist and commentator Jacques Morel. Hey Jacques, welcome back to the show. Hey Janine, thanks for having me. So when you woke up this morning and, and saw this devastating news, what immediately came to mind for you? And, and what are you feeling right now? What came to mind for me was like, again, like hip hop as compared to other genres, we don't deal with this level of superstar death so consistently. You know, PNB Rock was murdered less than a month and a half ago. Pop Smoke in 2020. Lil TJ was shot seven times. Like, it's just such a consistent and regular thing that speaks to so many of the forces that already affect us as Black people in this country, but that just also make what I believe, I feel like in terms of like entertainment jobs, I feel like hip hop, being a rapper is one of the most dangerous entertainment jobs you could have. Like stunt people don't go through this much uh, possibility of death, you know? And then what also was going through my mind was how the content machine, something that I'm calling the rapper death industrial complex, where TMZ posts the photos of Takeoff's dead body lying on the floor in a way that's crass and doesn't really have any journalistic merit. You could show the urgency of someone's death by posting an ambulance or a press conference. You don't need to post the photos of the body on the floor, right? And then it goes into like the mom and pop bloggers that will post those same photos and they're speculating on who committed the murder and who did the shooting. And then it's about like the get back. It's like this content mill that just turns and churns and churns and it just spins out into the same outcome, like another rapper dies. It's really sad. Well, Jacques, this just happened this morning, but what have we heard about what they're saying might have happened? It appears that Quavo and Takeoff were playing dice outside of a bowling alley in Houston, Texas, and there was an altercation and Takeoff passed away. That's the brass tacks what like we know. Okay. There are other unconfirmed speculations that it could be friendly fire, and this happened around like 2, 2 3 a.m. Eastern time. Just talking about Takeoff and where things were. We know there was 
some unsettling drama within the group as of late. It appeared to come to a boiling point over the summer when Offset unfollowed Quavo and take off on Instagram. They had gone their separate ways musically. And then the following day after that, Quavo and Takeoff released a single together. Do you think this could be a, a coming together in the wake of this such something so horrific? I mean, I would hope so. I feel like Migos is one of the most influential, impactful hip-hop groups of all time. They had a number one hit with Bad and Bougie in 2016. They took a flow that Lord Infamous had popularized, the triplet flow, and they made it their calling card. They were recording 20 songs a day and, you know, just constantly coming up with unique ways to flip beats. They revolutionized the game. They revolutionized hip-hop. So it's just, it's just a sad day in hip-hop. And as this goes again, it's like, what other genres go through this so regularly? And it's not like an overdose, right? Like, addiction is a disease, and there are a lot of people across genres afflicted with that disease, right? Yeah. But I'm talking about, like, outright murder, right? <laughs> When's the last time you heard of a rock star just being killed in a feud or a country star being killed in a feud or a pop star or, you know, an EDM DJ die because they post a picture of uh, their clothes that they got from a designer and they're, like, robbed and killed that day? Like, that doesn't happen. And that's, that's what happened to Pop Smoke, right? It doesn't happen. And like you said, this is every other month now, it feels like you're reading these headlines. It's different. Something's very, very badly broken. You know what's badly broken? It's the gun problem in the United States. Yep. You know, and especially in Texas. Uh, there was an article in the Times that was talking about how ever since Texas made it possible to carry a gun without a permit, you concealed carry without a permit, like they have all these issues. It's a gun problem. It's a race problem. It's it's all of these things kind of coalescing into one. Even with like the thing that I was most annoyed about is like the content problem, right? I'm mad that TMZ posted the photos. I'm mad that even the video that I made is contributing to that content problem. That like rapper's death also leads to rapper death content, <laughs> you know? It's just a crisis of just like rappers die early. Coolio died. How young was Coolio? How young was DMX? They don't live until like their 70s and 80s. Like you see these other rock stars. Like it's like rappers die young. It's a fraught industry. It feels like all of America's ills in like race and class and guns are just like funneling into this genre that we all love, but is also killing the people that we love as well. And like, it's because of the neighborhoods they're coming from, but the reason why the neighborhoods they're coming from are that way is because of the racist policies that were put in before they were even born. Yeah. You know, it's the, there are just no answers. It feels like conversations we have around shootings in this country, as you pointed to, at the end of the day, we have a gun problem. Oh, I am holding Takeoff's family and all those who are close to him in my heart, Jacques. This is just a ridiculously difficult story to talk about, and I appreciate you for just doing that with me, for coming on and taking the time. Thank you so much. No problem. No problem. 
as promised, later in the show, we are sitting down with Australian actress and The Handmaid's Tale star, Yvonne Strahovski, to talk about the shocking season five that fans now find ourselves in. And yes, giving you a clear and present spoiler alert if you're not caught up. Uh, But first, it's been 11 days since Taylor Swift released her 10th studio album, Midnight's. And to say her fans are loving it is an understatement. After the break, we are joined by one of our very own senior Swifties, Jeff Nelson, as he helps us break down why Tay-Tay is taking home the title of having the top 10 songs in the country right now. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We are back, and it's time to talk Tay-Tay. This morning, the Grammy winner announced the U.S. dates for her upcoming Eras Tour following the release of her 10th studio album, Midnight's. She's kicking things off stateside in Glendale, Arizona, on March 18th before wrapping up August 5th here in L.A. At select dates on the tour, Swift will be joined by some other big names like Phoebe Bridgers and Paramore. And while the tour news is big on its own, the all-too-well singer also shared how shocked she was to learn that she became the first artist ever to claim all 10 spots on Billboard's Hot 100 in a single week. Upon hearing the news, Swift tweeted out, quote, 10 out of 10 of the Hot 100 on my 10th album? I am in shambles. Well, joining us now to help break down the magic behind the top five of these top 10 songs is Taylor Swift mega fan and People's Senior News Editor, Jeff Nelson. Take it away, Jeff. I'm Jeff Nelson, Senior News Editor of Entertainment at People and on the Taylor Swift Beats. If you're looking for credentials, I own an original copy of her 2007 Target Christmas album. So there's that. I'm here to break down the top five songs of the Billboard Hot 100 this week, which all come from Taylor's Midnight's album. Number one, Antihero. This one's the lead single, and it's Taylor leaning into self-awareness, which is fun and refreshing. She tackles some of her darkest insecurities on this one and is super relatable. Just look at the chorus. It's me, hi. there's some unhinged lines, like one where she talks about a dream about her daughter-in-law killing her for her fortune. It blends the personal lyrics that we know and love with storytelling that she did on her last two albums, Folklore and Evermore. Number two, Lavender Haze. This is the album opener, and it really sets the tone for the whole record, which is dark, moody, vibey, synths. Content-wise, she dives into the scrutiny her relationship with Joe Alwyn receives and the non-stop speculation about if they're engaged, when they're going to get engaged, why they're not engaged. In her words, she's done with that 1950s S-word. Amen. Number three, Maroon. Taylor's looking back at a past relationship on this one. It 
has a lot of vivid storytelling, which we've come to expect from her. One of my favorite lines is about a hungover morning after when they're reflecting on how they got there. And Taylor references a roommate's cheap-ass screw-top rosé. Taylor had a roommate, and they drank cheap wine. The girl still knows how to connect with her fan base. Number four, Snow on the Beach. This was one of the most anticipated tracks because she collaborated with Juana Del Rey, who has inspired Taylor's work for years. See Wildest Dreams, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. It's about realizing that you and someone you're seeing are falling in love at the same time, and how, like the title, it's weird but effing beautiful. Come for that sweet sentiment and stay for a killer Janet Jackson reference in the bridge. You're welcome. But your eyes are flying saucers from another planet. Now I'm all for you like Janet. Can this be a real thing, Janet? And finally, number five, Midnight Rain. Taylor looks back at another past relationship on this one and reflects on a lover who was looking for a wife and chasing fame while she was making a name for herself focusing on her career. We have to appreciate an exploration in gender politics over an earworm hook from the biggest pop star in the world. You stayed the same, all of me changed like Season five of The Handmaid's Tale is winding down and it is giving its audience every piece of justice it has wanted to see for the character Serena Joy Waterford. If you are a fan of the show, you know that its heroine, June Osborne, played by Elizabeth Moss, has been in a battle with Serena Waterford since she was assigned as her handmaid back in season one. Now, I want to give a proper spoiler alert here because if you are not caught up on the show, we are about to dive into some of the answers and some of the things that have been happening in the plot, the twists, the turns that are keeping us on the edge of our seats. So joining me now is Yvonne Strahovski, who plays the diabolical Serena Waterford. Yvonne, welcome to the show. I cannot wait to get into this with you. Hi, <laughs> thanks for having me. This character is dark, self-righteous, conniving, but probably so fun to play as an actress. So before we dive in, I wanted to find out just from you on playing someone like Serena. And and do you think she's misunderstood at all? No, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think she thinks she's misunderstood. I don't know that she actually is, though. It's fun. It can be pretty conflicting at times to play someone like Serena Joy. I've kind of always towed that line of like, oh, this is really fun, but it's also, you know, feels very dirty, kind of justifying a lot of the things that she does, because that's my job is to humanize her and justify all her actions, which are horrible. It can be a little weird sometimes to be sort of on the inside when objectively, when I'm watching it, I'm kind of with the masses. So so let's talk about this twist that is what everyone's talking about. In episode seven, the shift happens when you are in labor and there is no one for you to rely on in that moment, but your enemy, June. The scene is just raw and primal and also, in a way, a bonding moment for the two women. But there is a vulnerability that comes when Serena says the sentence that had fans dropping their mouths to the floor, I'm their handmaid. It's like I'm you. What was it like going into that scene for you? And how do you feel it was handled? I read that episode and I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be so amazing and fun to do. I loved the fact that we ended up in this space together with two characters. It felt very personal to me because I had just given birth to my second son 
I was literally postpartum like just a couple months or a few months. It was wow, very fresh for me. Plus with my second son, I had done it at home in my room. So it was kind of slightly reminiscent. So I, I really, I spoke to Lizzie a lot about sort of trying to create a more authentic TV birth that was really important to me. But aside, you know, outside of that, with the dialogue and everything, it was just, there was so much for us to sink our teeth into and having those vulnerable moments and taking all those turns. Even the the biggest one felt like when Serena suggests, maybe you should take him. I mean, (laughs) there's just so many sort of realizations in what feels like a very long scene, which is pretty much the whole episode in this barn of the birth and all the things. There's so many complicated emotional landings for Serena. It's just so magnificent to be five seasons into a show with a character and you're not yet. That's amazing. I love that. And I love that context. I wanted to ask, what has been the most challenging part of this season, just for you as an actor, you know, prepping for it, actually acting it out or kind of letting it go afterwards? Because it's a very heavy show. I loved it. I loved having the opportunity to dive so deeply into the character. Episode seven, the birthing episode is my favorite one of my favorite things I've ever done on camera, ever. Like, it's so, so fun. But I think just the stamina. And I had two kids at home and I was postpartum and it was just kind of a lot to juggle along with everything else that life brings. But in terms of scenes, you know, I would say the one of the most challenging scenes was the the gun moment, the the, the lead up to episode seven when, when I'm pulling the gun on June that was one of the more complex things to explore that was new with the character. And that is she wasn't five steps ahead in this moment, like she usually is. Serena's a very manipulative, forward thinking kind of person. And this was an opportunity to show her just really having no plan whatsoever. There's so many things which obviously lead into episode seven, where we just kind of see her unravel delicious things to play with as an actor (laughs) awesome well i have to ask the obligatory final question i mean what can we expect leading up to this finale where do you hope june and serena end with their relationship you know going into that sixth and final season that we know is coming I just don't think there's a happy ending. There's definitely no obvious sort of storylines. I mean, that's why I I love and respect the writers so much. I mean, look at this season. You know, the most obvious thing would have been, let's make Serena a handmaid. And that would be just so cool to have that kind of revenge. But that would be too obvious. And so they managed to do it still this season. But in a very kind of creative, not so obvious way. I just would love to see that kind of, unique uh, storytelling continue because it's it's just magnificent. I love it. Yvonne, thank you so much for being here with us today and and just taking us into the show we all love and and cringe at, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, (laughs) Guys, it releases weekly, Wednesdays on Hulu. Yvonne, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I know we've had a lot of Halloween talk on here today, which is great. I love the holiday. It's so fun. Uh, But this year truly felt like the most 
normal Halloween since 2019. It seemed like everyone was really ready to go all out on the costumes and the decorations, but it is now November, everyone, and for some folks, once the clock strikes midnight, they start looking ahead to the next big holiday. And last night at 12.01 a.m. Eastern, Mariah Carey tweeted out a black and white video of her dressed as an evil witch, surrounded by jack-o'-lanterns as she pedaled away on a Peloton to give off some Wicked Witch of the West fitness vibes. And then, about halfway through, the video turned to color and Carrie made a transformation that, well, you can hear it for yourself. Mimi captions the video as, it's time, (laughs) and for millions of folks, it is. During its 25th year anniversary in 2019, All I Want for Christmas reached number one on the charts, and last year, it earned the top spot on Billboard's Greatest of All Time Holiday 100 songs retrospective. I'm someone who holds off until after Thanksgiving to get into the Christmas spirit. I know a lot of you have already made the switch to Christmas music. Just let me take down my Halloween decorations before I start thinking about Christmas and Christmas shopping. Please, I beg you. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for kicking off November with us, and I'll see you back here tomorrow for a brand new episode of People Every Day. <laughs>